education abroad, study abroad, global learning, student mobility. What do we actually call the work that we do in this arena? We're going to talk about that today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 44 of the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I am your host, Brooke Roberts, along with my co-host, Sam Cooper, hailing from London, England. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Welcome back to the show, Sam. What's up? Hello. Great. Hi. What's up with so, you? <laughs> I'm not a lot. I'm, I'm a little hyper today. It's a Friday. We're ready to roll for the weekend. So today we're going to talk about a subject I think is fascinating because I think for both of us in our careers, we've seen a lot of evolutions and definitely over the course of international education, generally it's, it, we've seen some shifts of just like, what do we call the work that we do and who is it describing and what kinds of programs it's describing, et cetera. Um, lots of big evolutions, I think over time. And so Let's just start with when you started in the field, early 2000s, what did they call it? What were people calling it? Well, it was study abroad. Uh, and granted, I was on the study abroad side, looking right. at students going outside the U.S., but mm -hmm. it was very much study abroad focused. Yeah. Offices were called the study abroad office. Mm -hmm. I think even programs would say they were third party study abroad program mm -hmm. providers. A yeah. Mouthful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was very much centered in this term, study abroad, study outside. Yeah, and I think, and then international ed was still part of it, but that was like, okay, we're mm -hmm. going to then, that was the umbrella term for study abroad, international student and scholar services, international yes. admissions, uh, teaching and learning and scholarship. Yeah, and it kind of encompassed all those things. One thing that we didn't put in the notes that just came to mind, though, if you look back, though, historically, like when NAFSA was founded, yes, was just thinking the, that. <laughs> the name of the NAFSA, the acronym technically is an acronym, even though we don't use it for that anymore, but it was a national association of foreign student advisors. That's it. So yeah. So even NAFSA wasn't really even, wasn't study initially abroad. inclusive of study abroad or like in this context, thinking U.S. students leaving the United States to study elsewhere. Obviously, NAFSA is a U.S. founded institution organization. Yeah, it was real focused on bringing students here. And then obviously they got a bigger tent, if you will, uh, over time to include other areas of the field. But yeah, so when I when I actually studied abroad, it was definitely called study abroad. And so, you know, 2005, 2006, I think we were talking about how there was an, this shift from when we're thinking about U.S. students leaving the country, and that's an important distinction too. It's like yeah. leaving, going to another country, required passport. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But the shift from the word study to the word education. And I, I remember mm -hmm. at the time being like, who cares? <laughs> I, I mean, a lot of people cared. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a lot of people care. Cause I mean, you were mentioning before, I mean, I think you probably saw it even more than I did offices sort of like over, like changing their brand to be education abroad, the name education yeah. abroad. Yeah, it's so true. And I think even now people, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like people, every time I write study abroad, I write it 
because I know that students still use that term, but I also then add education abroad. I'm thinking hashtags here. You know, yeah. you can't just have study abroad as a hashtag. You have to have education abroad or global programs or global education based on what people are looking for. Um, so yeah. bringing study abroad right into the 21st century with our hashtags. But yeah. I think, I imagine there are some people that would still take offense whether that's right or wrong to the term yeah. city abroad versus ed abroad. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because if I think back, even when I was running go abroad, you know, it's a search yeah. engine and our livelihood depended on students or future participants finding our website first. Exactly. And so I don't want to get into the weeds here on search engine optimization, <laughs> but we never, you know, tried to rank for terms like global learning programs in Spain. Like that was just, <laughs> exactly. that's not what, you know, the user base, the student population or the, the young people going on these programs. God, I keep, I keep using all this terminology. I'm like, not necessarily young, whatever, <laughs> uh, but future program participants might be searching for, and they're going to, they're not searching for global learning. They're searching for yeah. study abroad in, in Sevilla, Spain, 2022, you know, so recognizing that it is interesting how there's like our internal as professionals conversation about what we want to be called and what all the terminology means and implies and, and how it can be inclusive or exclusive. Yeah. And then students are just like, I just want to study abroad. You know, <laughs> yeah. not as concerned with some of the uh, inside baseball, if you will, of like the naming And one of the other earlier terms, if we, we think about it is the office might have been previously known even before the study abroad office would be the student exchange. Office. Yeah. Because thinking student about program models, the big thing. yeah, exactly. and program models in the past, if they weren't the classic junior year abroad, they were an exchange program, which yeah. in a way made study abroad way more affordable <laughs> than, you know, the, we don't, we, I'm not going to relitigate the history of international ed. We talk about that inside the Global Pro Institute. So get in there if you want to learn more about this, but yeah, I think that's, that's really fascinating how just even that to me makes a lot of sense, like shifting from student exchange to study abroad. To study abroad. <clears throat> yeah. It was more inclusive of the types of programs that my students might be going on. But again, I think the term education, I think what some would argue is that instead of saying study versus education, study was it describes a very specific that's it, yeah. program structure of like, I go into a classroom and I study and I do research, you know, it's very traditional study mm. versus education. As we start to define education could look a little different. You know, we could start saying like, Oh, be, practical learning based. It, it education. could be experiential oh, education. Right. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You brought up NAFSA because I thought about that at the same time, you know, when I started in the field of study abroad, as it was called at the time, mm -hmm. NAFSA was really, really focused on international students and scholars and, and, and foreign student advisors. Mm -hmm. And over time, it has absolutely been more realigned to all the different aspects of this umbrella of international ed, which I think people now use, I would say pretty consistently as mm -hmm. an umbrella term. But yeah. what's interesting is maybe the change of redefining study abroad as we go and adding more inclusivity. I know we've talked about with uh, education abroad being more encompassing of different types of programs and global education, maybe adding another flavor, mm -hmm. is that I think our field has been professionalizing over time. And the fact is it wasn't as professional. And I mean that in, in the age of it, uh, in how it became a professional industry, which we can talk about, yeah. is that we've 
we've slowly defined who we are and what we do. And that meant having to change the terms that we use Mm -hmm. as we work with students, as we expand the types of programs, because now what is it going to be called now with all of the virtual and remote education that's happening? Mm. Yeah. So what's the future term? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think that like segues nicely to sort of other terminology that maybe even the study abroad world may not even yeah, be privy to or, or utilize hardly at all, but I think are important terms that other areas of the field or in the industry you utilize all the time. So um, I mentioned go abroad before, but you know when we were we were there, we we would use the term programs abroad or meaningful mm-hmm. travel because even within our umbrella, just of that organization, we obviously worked with tons of study abroad organizations and universities, thinking U.S. students outbound. Um, But we also wasn't just studying. It was volunteering. It was working. It was teaching TEFL programs, um, adventure travel, like, I don't know, anything that wasn't like, I always tell people, it's like, it's a search engine for travel experiences that are all-inclusive resorts, cruises, uh, those types (laughs) of hotels. Uh, But it's all the other type of travel, meaningful travel. We can break down the word meaningful Meaningful, in a whole other other episode. But I typically use meaningful travel as an all-encompassing kind of big kahuna terminology, especially when I talk Mm. to people outside of our field, you know, people mm. are like, what do you do? I was like, oh, well, I, you know, do professional development for people who want to work in the meaningful travel industry because they understand travel industry and yeah. then tag on meaningful. And they're like, <laughs> they're still like, what does that mean? And I'm like, yeah, like study abroad. And they're like, oh, got it. <laughs> so even outside the field, they're like, I don't understand any of these terms. Um, but programs abroad, I think is also um, even more maybe even a better term than meaningful travel, because it implies like there's this container around the experience abroad in Mm. any direction. Like it's a program as opposed to like backpacking through Europe on your own. And that is meaning it could be meaningful travel in some ways, but a program is sort of, it has this container around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, jump over to the other side of the pond. What, yeah. what say you about the naming conventions <laughs> in the UK or the, or Europe sure. in general? Yeah, I'm not an expert. I'll tell you now we do use exchange is still used. Um, and, and actually really, I'm really curious about what the exchange world looks like at the moment. I do wonder if it's I'm sure the numbers are way lower. Just as a side note, I, I am curious about how many universities are still, you know, participating in exchange. Mm-hmm. But mobility it tends to be the word that people use. So mm-hmm. student mobility is this all-encompassing term that people use for students that are going outside, right? So the same, if they're in the UK, they're going outside the UK to study, uh, to learn, or students coming in. And so that's, I would say, a pretty blanket term is student mobility. You'll Mm -hmm. see that in job titles, student mobility officer, manager, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But study abroad is still used, at least in the the UK. I have seen offices of study abroad or referred to as study abroad. Um, Whereas I would say the same with international students, you'll have an international student team or international office. Mm -hmm. And that tends to mean in the UK that it's working with the students that are coming in, not necessarily the outbound, outbound student mobility. Yeah. And, and, but still centered on that student academic focus piece as well. So there's still that credit bearing 
sure. um, requirement or filter, if you will. I think a lot of them, um, I know when I, uh, gosh, this would have been like 2008, I guess, uh, global, I felt like global learning and global education yeah. started to like had a moment more on, yeah, it was having a <laughs> moment. Yes. Um, and I think, uh, what I liked about it, like when I ran the global learning center at university of South Dakota, I didn't get to name it that I came in and it was like, this is the name, which I was fine with. But what I always had to then translate for students across campus, it was like, what's, what do you mean global learning? It's the study abroad office, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, exactly. and, but, but what I liked about it is because we also were involved in the, um, domestic exchange programs as well, which, oh, cool. uh, which I thought was really interesting because I think that that concept of the global education or global learning mm. doesn't always mean leaving a country or going to a new country. It could be, you know, and maybe intercultural learning is even a better term for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I haven't seen a lot of like intercultural learning offices. I'm not sure. Um, they might exist, no, but maybe focus more on domestic stuff. But, yeah. but like in my office, it was also like the spring break service trips um, that oh, were yeah. domestic and some, we yeah. did international ones as well. So yeah, it was trying to, I think in, at least in my specific context, it was trying to encapsulate all types of learning that was happening across cultures, maybe yeah. more than just like leaving a country or coming to a new country. Or just outside the campus, outside the campus community. Yeah. yeah there yeah. was a time, this still might be the case, there were study away yeah. offices or uh, roles. I, yeah. I, suppose. I applied for a director of study away at Missouri yeah. State University in Springfield. <laughs> That, that just re reminded me when you said that, I was like, oh gosh, I forgot about that yeah, one. Study away. Yeah. yeah, study away. Um, and I think a lot of people have, you know, a pay I remember talking to someone once when I don't know if they knew that in my office at USD we did domestic student exchange, domestic study away. And they went on a whole rant about how they just think domestic study away is so dumb and all this stuff. And I was like, tell me more. Know your audience. Yeah. Your well, no, I, and cause I have very strong opinions of it. Uh, you know, as I've talked about at nauseum on this show about how, you know, I grew up in rural Kansas. And when I worked in South Dakota, what I loved about that experience, um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, South Dakota wasn't like my dream career destination, but what I loved about that opportunity was getting to work with kids. I could totally relate to Yeah, absolutely. of like, 300 people. And so for them, a study away to huge. Arizona was Absolutely. like, Whoa, my mind is blown. And so convincing them to go to, you know, Beijing, um, was, is yeah. a much harder ask in some, in some instances, every, like we all know, every student is different and prepared for new challenges. And, and the students who got, who did domestic stuff, but found it to be very like eye-opening and, and, and yeah. really fun ways. I was like, I'm in like, I agree goal, with right? those students. Yeah, yeah. I agree with those students. I, some of my biggest culture shock granted, I bear in mind, I live in another country now was moving from California to Boston. That was huge culture shock for me yeah. that I didn't expect. So yeah. I think there is real validity in study away and getting Same. outside your, it's getting outside your chosen environment or your given yeah. environment, right? Getting that exposure to different people, things, thoughts. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, I mean, translating, I remember going like from like, graduated <laughs> high school in Kansas and then went to college in Boston and yeah. was like, 
what is going on? I, I, that was the worst, like culture until I then lived in China. That was the worst. Cause I ended up studying abroad and in France and Geneva and, and London, but going. that was like nothing <laughs> compared to like going to Boston. Cause I yeah. think just kind of like re-entry, I think in it, probably you for, as well, it was like, I didn't expect it to be so hard. And that's probably it why so it was hard. Yeah. Exactly. A little tangent on reentry and domestic <laughs> change. But yeah, I still think that it sort of lends itself to this conversation about, well, what, what is this world that we're in and what is the work what that we we're do. Really doing? Exactly. Um, getting down to the brass tacks of like our mission as a field. And we'll talk mm. about this, that, that thing in a minute. Um, and, but yeah, I think, I think you and I would both agree. We're like, let's, you, you, you summarized it well, just a second ago. It's like exchange of ideas, new ways of thinking, new ways of just behaving and priorities yeah. in a place that can blow your mind along with the economics, the history, all the things. Of course. So we're going to try to make these episodes a little more snappy. So kind of in summation, one of the things we wanted to talk about um, before we get to like the last big like, what do we call this space <laughs> in a second? But I think, so at the end of the day, Sam, what should a person, if they're like coming into this field or coming into this world and they're like, everybody calls it something different and what the hell do, what, what the hell do I use? Um, or if you've been in the field for a long time and you're like, how do I settle on a thing or your job searching, et cetera, what say you, what do we call it? Well, having just recently started a new role at a new university, you call it what people around you call it is what I would say. Right. You do yeah. change. I think you do have to change your language to be understood amongst the people that you work with. Mm -hmm. So that would be my first mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And, but also kind of going back to what we said, I think we also have to change it based on who we're talking to, to, to make it understood. Yeah. I agree. And I think, you know, there's all, you know, there's a conversation around individually, like how do you maneuver and, and yeah. call it, but then there's also, I think a broader as leaders in our field, having conversations about, and I think that's why we've seen this evolution of change is having conversation mm -hmm. about how do we call this something that is actually inclusive of the myriad of program types and program designs and styles and delivery styles, getting back to your issue, the, yeah. the online, also the student populations or the, the yeah. potential participant populations that we might be serving as well. Like, it, you know, using the term student for all participants isn't always truly accurate and maybe paints a picture that it is always enrolled traditional age enrolled in higher education type yeah. of participant. Um, so yeah, this, I think, I don't think we're going to answer that on this podcast, but these are things to be thinking about mm -hmm. as you move through the field and move through the industry. I would say, you know, just to answer the question. So what do you call it when you're in an organization? Absolutely. You just call it what internally you've all agreed is, mm -hmm. is the, um, the language you're going to use, but specifically for my job seekers out there. Um, mm -hmm. so let's say on your resume, mm -hmm. and maybe you've been in the field for a bit. And so you have some of this stuff on your resume right now, and you're applying for a role. I want you to call whatever you've done and whatever you're potentially going to do based on the language that they are using. So in their job rec, if they're saying global learning advisor, and you know that it's Absolutely. a study abroad advisor, right? Like, like maybe you drilled it down. It's like, oh, you're a study abroad advisor. You want to <laughs> use global learning in your cover letter on the application materials, like use their terminology, mirror yeah. back to them what they clearly want it to be called. And then also maybe do some translation for them. So it don't always assume that because you were, that they will equate their global learning advisor to their, some other offices, um, I don't know, 
meaningful travel coordinator or something like that. So you want to translate and be like, oh, this role I did over here was actually in parentheses, just put the more recognizable terminology that they'll be like, oh, I get that. Right. So I always tell people, you know, on my resume, which I probably should update, but I haven't had to use in a long time, but on my resume, I was technically, my title was global learning manager, I think something like that for at USD. Well, that actually didn't describe what I do. I was the founding director of the education abroad office. And so I put that on my resume. So the people know that that's the equivalent of the role I was taking on in my responsibilities because other institutions, the coordinator is the entry level job or the manager or whatever. So yeah, so mirror back to them, whatever terminology and language they're using. And then I think then, you know, stepping away from just the job application side of things, I think it is, we talk about this inside of GPI, but like building your professional brand, if you're wanting to be associated with a specific area of the field and a niche and functional area of the field, um, like you, you're really invested in international students and scholars, you want to use the terminology that they use all the time. Don't come up with your own terms. Don't get creative with it. Same thing with education abroad. You need to start drilling down how you behave and how you interact and what you're writing about sharing on LinkedIn around that terminology as well. So that your name can be associated with, um, that specific area of the field. And then the last thing I would say for those people who are like, well, I'm not sure. Do I want to do study abroad? Do I want to be in international student services? Or I don't want to only be known as the study abroad person or whatever, or the admissions person. Then start thinking about how you can incorporate the broader terminology of meaningful travel or programs abroad or global learning or et cetera, global programs um, so that you aren't pigeonholed. I don't think pigeonholes a real thing, but like, so you can start expanding a little bit more how you're associated. So be, and there's no clear cut answer. I wish there was, but that's the way I would sort of break it down of like how I started utilizing the terminology. I used to like on my way back in the day, I, on my LinkedIn, whatever title X section, I I was, I, I was study abroad evangelist. Okay. I think at then one point it was also study abroad enthusiast, mm-hmm. but it was still like study abroad. Obviously it was like etching out my, my, my stake in the ground and my brand in international ed, but yeah. So Sam, mm-hmm. let's talk about the last thing in terms oh, yes, of terminology. And it's not quite related to like describing what we do as opposed to describing the arena <laughs> that we operate in <laughs> I know, or the area that we operate in. Sometimes conversations around the use of industry versus field. In some countries, it might be sector. And this can be sometimes, for some people, be a very touchy subject. Why do you think that is? I don't know. (laughs) You know, I've always believed this is controversial, but study abroad has always kind of been the redheaded stepchild of higher education. Let's be honest. (laughs) And so part of me wonders, um, we love redheads by the way. And, and I am a stepchild, so we love yes. stepchildren too. <laughs> See, sorry about that. That is a very old term. Um, I know, my, I know. both my nephews are redheads. I love redheads. <laughs> um, you're absolutely magic. He redheads in the world. Um, but what I mean by that is I do feel like in, as a field, if you're working in a study abroad office, there, there is, there has been traditionally a chip on your shoulder there's not as much recognition, et cetera. And so I think that's why it's been so important for those of us in our field to about the names. And 
I do believe there's a strong leaning towards using the word field. I don't know if you agree with that, but yeah. I've often found myself writing industry, deleting it and writing field. I naturally go towards the word field. That could be my. So I would like to break this down a little bit more. I would say that generally speaking, the term industry or sector, um, because I feel like you use sector a lot, like when you talk about um, industry sectors for internship placements, right? Like, oh, what sector, what industry sector do you want to be in? So industry and sector, I think, kind of have a connotation of for-profit capitalism business. It's an industry versus field is like a field of study. It's academic leaning in nature. And so as a result, I think it kind of coming back to what you were talking about of the study abroad, education abroad world, feeling a little, that little bit of resentment chip on its shoulder and where that I think can come from, God, we're really getting to the inside baseball on this. Yeah. Sorry. I can really got into the controversy. No, it's good. (laughs) Uh, But getting into like the deeper elements of this is like how education abroad is seen traditionally on a university campus. And so because it has one foot in like student services and and administration and one foot in academia, sometimes the, they don't have a lot of pull on the student services because they're so tied to like the academic credit and the academic uh, machinations of the institution that they can't do a lot over here in student services. But at the same time, they're not a true academic department with, you know, PhDs and all the research grants and all that stuff that is typically um, reserved for fields of study and mm-hmm. academic departments. And so it doesn't really have a place, a strong place in either. Some institutions do this really well and it is yeah. done really well. Some institutions, it's just like, it's no man's land in there. We're like, oh, I don't know. We're here, we're here. Uh, we're for profit. We're not making any money. We're, you know, we report to the faculty Senate and they're making all the decisions about administrative things that we need to do yeah. in our office. I mean, USD, we had all of these problems and more. So I can totally relate if anybody's out there listening going, yes, yes, that's a problem. <laughs> um, and so as a result of like not feeling the footing, I think um, calling it a field helps give some credibility it, within the institution Good point. Um, Good point. as uh, professionals can say, well, the field of education abroad is like an academic field, academic with academic rigor. Um, mm. So they can get a little street cred over there in the, the school you know, the, the academic side of the house. And then I think also playing into that is that because in the study abroad, and they don't see this as much in international students and scholars work because it, it is much more like student services, classic student services, yeah. but education abroad, because they're partnering with organizations and companies that are almost always across the board for profit industry businesses. I mean, there's no getting around it. They might deliver a product that's very rooted in academia, but at the day it's a product that has a price they pay bills, they pay staff, you know, they make a profit sometimes not, there might be a pandemic. Uh, and so, you know, so I think also that association with these like for-profit organizations can sometimes from a study abroad offices perspective, like hinder their like academic street cred. Once again, they're working with faculty all day long. So they got to keep that, that hold on that field. We're academics and that, mojo. So that was a really long explanation. And I apologize. I thought that was excellent though. I hadn't, I hadn't ever really thought about industry field and sector before in our field, other than noticing that we tend to say field. So no, 
Nuggets of wisdom, Brooke. Nuggets. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. That's free, kids. It's free on the podcast today. Uh, So, all right. So, I think I think that pretty much covers it. I think in terms of just like our advice, I just think don't rock the boat. Veer towards field. Um, I say industry all the time, but like, I think we talk about this again, I say GPI, but we talk about this all the time is like part of what it means to grow your career and establish yourself in, in our field is understanding these rules, uh, these unwritten rules, and then playing by the rules when it makes sense. And then getting to a point in your career where you know, when it's okay to break those rules. I'm kind of at a point in my career where I'm like, I don't care. I'll just go call it an industry (laughs) or a field. I don't know, whatever rolls off the tongue in that moment, I'll just say it, but I'm not going to apologize either way for that. But other people, you know that, and you have to know your audience and who you're talking to and, and how they're going to, what the reception will be of that as well. So have you ever gotten like a a weird look when you let one slip versus the other, or like, even when, like, when you like, cause you work with a lot of businesses, like taking yeah. in interns, like student interns, what, what's your lingo? What has been your lingo there? That's a great question. Uh, I tend to have to explain it a little bit. Study abroad to a, a business person here in the UK wouldn't necessarily, I mean, they might know what it is, but sometimes I have to say, you know, like Erasmus, because that is a big exchange program here, or, you know, studying outside their home country for cultural experience. So sometimes I have to draw it out. Right. Um, but that for the most part, most people I think understand study abroad. Yeah. Outside of our, of our field. Yeah. Yeah. I think as, if you're listening to this and you're kind of newer to international ed, I think as you get more embedded in this, you'll see that like kind of behind closed doors, not on the record, so to speak on a, a podcast, for instance, people will typically be like our industry, but when we're like more forward facing, outward facing on the stage, so to speak, people will say field. Field. Absolutely. Yeah. Sector. I haven't really heard that much of, I'll be honest, but yeah. And honestly, I think that's more of a lexicon thing that you introduced me to from the UK perspective. And I'm like, Oh, and I was like, Oh, sector. So here's a little cheat for everybody. I often, (laughs) I've started saying our arena, like the international education arena, (laughs) because I feel like it's, it implies like, Oh, this is the space, a container for it, but it doesn't, I don't think is loaded with field academic stuff or you know, industry, businessy stuff. It's just like, it's what we do, the arena. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I like it. Airier. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode, everybody. Thank you again, Sam, for being here. If you want to come hang out with us on Instagram or LinkedIn, we are on both. Go find In Study Abroad um, and Inside Study Abroad on both of those platforms. And feel free to connect with both Sam and I on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. If you haven't left a rating and review of the podcast, if you're listening this far, please, please, please go down there, leave a review. We want to hear from you what you think of the show topics you want us to cover guests you'd like us to have on we want to hear it all from you so please leave us a rating and review and it really helps us get found by more future and current international educators there we go there's another name and uh, we will see you on the next episode bye bye guys